Hello and welcome to OECD On The Level. I'm Bill Bieler. Today we're talking with Catherine Dovey, Manager of National Contact Point Coordination at the OECD. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, I'm Bill. Let me jump right in. What are national contact points and why are they important? Great place to start. Um, essentially, national contact points are offices set up by governments who have adhered to our guidelines, our guidelines for um, multinational enterprises, which is essentially our instrument on responsible business conduct. And we have 48 governments who've signed up to them. So those 48 have created uh, national contact points. And when I say office, um, each of the countries is free to structure the NCP in whatever way works best for them, provided it meets our core criteria around being visible, accessible, accountable, and transparent. And then when they're handling cases, they have to do it in a way that's impartial, predictable, equitable, and in line with our guidelines. The OECD guidelines on multinational enterprises, uh, the, the countries that have signed up for that, what have they signed up for? Essentially, um, our, our guidelines are the sort of recommendations by those governments to, um, to companies. So it's the sort of baseline of what's expected in the field of responsible business conduct. And it's divided into 11 chapters. It includes things like human rights, environment, labor, even taxation. So there are a whole bunch of issues that are, that are included in there. Um, and then the, the NCPs have an interesting sort of mandate in that on the one hand, they promote these guidelines um, to the companies and they also promote our due diligence guidance to companies in different sectors and our general one as well. But then they also act as um, a sort of complaint mechanism. So they receive cases when individuals or non-governmental organizations or trade unions feel that companies have not met the expectations that are set out in these guidelines. The NCPs are not a court of law. What kind of cases come to the NCPs and what, uh, what do they want from this process? Yeah, I mean, you're right that they're not, they're not a court of law. It's very deliberate that they're non-judicial kind of grievance mechanisms. And, and the benefit there, I think, for, for, for the parties involved is, is flexibility. So um, national contact points provide almost like a, a platform for discussion which can, can offer a whole spectrum of different things, um, all the way from sort of clarifying what went on in a particular circumstance over to professional uh, external mediation, um, or rather professional mediation involving external experts. Um, and so parties that come to NCPs with, with a case um, can be looking for a whole host of things. And that's why it's very interesting because there's a flexibility to enable the NCP to really be the kind of neutral uh, party in between the company on the one hand and the, and the complainant or the submitter on the other and see what can come out of that process. So both parties agree to the process. Uh, one isn't dragged before the NCP by the other. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's an important point. It's an entirely voluntary process. Um, companies, when uh, approached by the NCP, when you know, a case has come in, can choose whether or not to, to engage. Although one trend that we're seeing that's quite interesting in, in, in a couple of governments, Canada has been doing it for quite some time, and then more recently, Germany, um, through their National Action Plan on, on Business and Human Rights, talks a little bit about this, which is joining up different bits of government to this process. So if you have a situation whereby 
a company is refusing to engage in a mediation or, or, or just sort of sit down with the NCP and the other party, then there may be other sort of areas of government that, that link back to that, whether that's trade diplomacy or um, investment guarantees, et cetera, et cetera. So other parts of government that are working directly with the private sector can be informed of this and, and, and sort of take decisions on a case-by-case -case basis as appropriate. These cases are called uh, specific instances. Um, what if one of these specific instances does not result in satisfaction? Does litigation then take place? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, the term specific instances is not particularly user-friendly. We tend to use a sort of hand, a shorthand of, of cases um, when we're talking about these, these matters. But, but that specific instances, you're absolutely right, is, is the language in the guidelines. I mean, you will often find that when a case comes before an NCP, it, it may well have already been through the courts. It may well have already been through other fora. And in fact, nothing prohibits an NCP from taking a case which is um, in parallel being heard by a court. In fact, you can't, if, as an NCP, you can't reject a case simply because it's going through the courts because, you know, the solution to this problem is, is really in the hands of the parties. And so if they feel that the NCP can add value to what might be being considered elsewhere, then they can, they can still bring it forward. And I guess the point, just coming back to the earlier point around compensation as well, I think, you know, if you're to take human rights as, as an example, um, remedy in, in the space of human rights can take a lot of different forms. One might be financial compensation, but others might be an apology or even the process of, of listening to the individuals involved. Um, and, and the NCP can offer that whole spectrum of possibilities because they're not the provider of the solution, right? They're the provider of the forum. Typically, what parties are around the table during the process? Um, most of the cases that we've seen, and since NCPs have been receiving cases since the year 2000, we've seen over 400 come through this, the different countries. Um, the large majority of them have come from non-governmental organizations. Um, and then after that, a big chunk, around a quarter, I think, from trade unions. Quite a lot from individuals, actually. Um, and then we've had some, some more interesting cases because the process is open to absolutely everyone. Uh, there's no sort of set criteria as to, who, as to who can actually bring a case. So we've even seen cases brought by members of parliament or city mayors or even sometimes other companies. So it's a very open process. But yeah, large majority non-governmental organizations who may well be representing community representatives or individuals in their own right who are directly impacted in some way. Who represents the parties? Yeah, another good question. Um, and I think that really, really depends on, on the circumstances in hand. Uh, what's going to be most important in one of these kind of case settings is that you have the decision makers around the table, right? Um, because nobody wants the process to, to take far too long because the right people are not, are not in the room. Right. Um, I think that on the, on the, on the company side, when, um, when they're determining who, who ought to attend, then, you know, the more sort of connected to the subject matter, the better. There may well be lawyers that are involved, and that's, that's fantastic, um, provided that there's also an awareness of what the guidelines are trying to achieve, right? It's not designed to be a legal instrument. It's really designed to be a kind of solution-finding mechanism. So the parties involved are, as much as possible, speaking for themselves rather than going through lawyers or other representatives? It varies. I mean, for instance, we saw a case um, 
we've, we've seen cases where you might have one or two individuals representing a large number of parties, right? Because it's just not practical to have everyone around the table. Um, and that might be the case if, if, if community members are being represented by perhaps a regional or an international non-governmental organization, if a group of workers are being represented by a trade union, you know, something like that. Um, but I think on a personal level, the more um, human the process can be and the more sort of connected individuals are to what's actually going on in a particular context, uh, the greater the likelihood for success. How do parties come to agree on the basic facts of a case if indeed there is disagreement? It's a, an iterative process, right? And sort of determining what parties want to get out of it at the start and being very, very clear about that sets the tone for, for the rest of the exercise. And I should say, I mean, our, our role here at, at the OECD is to, is to support NCPs in delivering their mandate. But these are their national contact points, as the name suggests. So they're very much a sort of country-led mechanism. So we don't get involved, actually, in any of the cases. But once they're closed, um, then we can publicize them, we can talk about them and, and sort of hear about how it went. Is there an appeal process? There isn't technically an appeal process um, to an NCP case, no. Again, because we're not really in the judicial mindset when we're talking about these, these processes. Um, what, what is in the guidelines is um, a provision which allows what we call our institutional stakeholders. So the, the, the business group, BIAC, um, the, the trade union group, TUAC, and the sort of NGO group, OECD Watch, or a government um, can actually bring um, what we call a substantiated submission <laughs> to the OECD Investment Committee if they feel that an NCP hasn't been following um, the procedural guidance, which is, which is how our guidelines sort of explain to NCPs uh, what, what good functioning looks like. I see, I see. Um, this may vary um, depending on the government, but does the NCP typically sit within government? Yeah, so across the, the sort of landscape of, of the 48, um, we see quite a few different models, most of which will have either somebody seated in a government department or a kind of secretariat support role in a government department. So the way we break it down is that we have four NCPs that are independent. So again, supported by someone in government, but with, with um, independent experts representing almost like a panel of experts. And then we have um, four NCPs that are tripartite. So there around the table, you've got government, uh, trade union, and business representatives. Three that are quadripartite, so adding in NGOs into that mix. And then the large majority that are basically in government, many of which have either advisory bodies or um, oversight bodies to support them in their work. And that's actually really critical because one of the one of the fundamental principles with NCPs is that they must have the confidence of social partners and other stakeholders. In order for this mechanism to function well, you need those kind of connections in terms of external stakeholders and across your own government to get mm -hmm. the right expertise at the table. I suppose with a variety of kind of configurations, there have there been recipes for success that have evolved or things that... Uh, don't work so well? I mean, I think that just on a practical level, um, when you've got the right resources and when you've got the right both stakeholders and expertise 
involved in the entity, then, then you can do great things. I think it's, it can be quite a tough job to do if, um, if, if, it's, if, if you don't have those things in place, basically. There have been some high-profile instances taken up by the NCPs. Uh, I think about Heineken and Nataxis and uh, FIFA. Can you tell us a bit about these uh, cases? Yeah, sure. So Heineken was a very interesting case that went to the Dutch NCP. And it basically involved um, around over 150 former employees of a subsidiary of Heineken who'd been working in the DRC um, between sort of 1999 and 2000. Democratic Republic of Congo. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and they had been um, dismissed. And they had been going to the courts, the local courts, for several years and not, not getting anywhere. Um, they brought the case to the NCP in the Netherlands um, seeking financial compensation in this case. And, and that's what they managed to achieve. So there were a few different mediation meetings that took place. One uh, in Uganda with, with a local mediator in Uganda, one in Paris. Um, and yeah, the company, um, Heineken, agreed to, to provide um, significant financial compensation as, as a result. And that, you know, that, that case is not your easiest case. It's quite old. It involved a, a conflict period. It involved a large number of, um, of former employees. So that was a very interesting one. FIFA, quite different, um, handled by the Swiss National Contact Point. And it related to uh, human rights violations with regards migrant workers building uh, the facilities for the FIFA 2022 Men's World Cup in Qatar. Again, a number of mediation um, meetings took place. Um, and this case actually was brought by a trade union, the Building and Woodworkers Union. Um, and the sort of outcome that came as a result of that successful mediation involved a detailed action plan, commitments to decent work, um, including local level inspections. I mean, just, just a, a very strong um, plan that would follow. And then lots of other work was going on with FIFA. And, and um, now we're seeing a whole bunch of other ways in which human rights is being incorporated into their work. If I were a party that wanted to go towards a, to an NCP, what's the, what's the procedure? You can find your NCP by either going there directly um, or clicking through to their website um, from, from the OECD page on NCPs. And then, um, then it will depend on the individual NCP. Some of them have sort of online forms that you can fill in to, to explain the case. You will have to be linked to the case. I mean, it's not, it's not enough that, you know, you hear about something, you don't like the sound of it, and you bring forward a case. So there has to be some direct connection. Um, and then the process is basically threefold. The NCP will decide basically whether your case is admissible. If so, they will offer either mediation, conciliation, etc., to both parties. Hopefully they say yes, sit down together. Hopefully there's an agreement at the end of it. Um, and that whole process um, is designed to last around 12 months um, in total. But, but yeah, that would be your first contact with the NCP. And many of them now will respond by explaining what the NCP is in order to manage expectations um, and sort of explain how the, how the case procedure will, will happen. I think one challenge that we have is that no one has heard of NCP and it doesn't really mean anything <laughs> as a concept. So I'm very interested in, in those entities who are starting to change their names 
because that's also possible. From NCP to something else. To something else. Exactly. What, what are some of the names that have emerged? Do you know them? We're seeing a couple. It's it's um it's a little early, but um, I've heard of a few offices for responsible business. Um, there are various names that are being suggested to us in the in the field, but but something that's a little bit more directly related. And and our position is as long as we know where to find the OECD and CP, then, then the name, it, it can really be left in the creativity of the individuals involved. Are there any other trends that you're seeing in the development of these uh, NCPs? Yeah, we're seeing quite a few different trends emerging. Um, one important piece is that since 2011, over 50% of the cases that are coming to NCPs relate to human rights. So that's quite an, an interesting piece. And then another piece is the role of the financial sector. Um, both in terms of um, entities that are working with companies who might have been targeted in an NCP case to encourage them to engage in mediation, to stick with the mediation process, or um, a financial institution being directly targeted um, in a particular case and coming to the table because um, they may or may not have been directly linked to a particular harm. And there was a particularly interesting case that was heard by the French national contact point which was brought by a trade union in the united states um the problem at the root of it related to um a social conflict in a hotel in the u.s but they went to um, a french bank um and one of its asset managers so there was a very complex investment chain that sat behind it and a number of business relationships connecting the u.s and france in this way um and the French NCP decided to hear the case. Um, and then what happened was, in terms of the results, when the hotel was sold to another owner, a new operator was chosen and unionization was agreed to. So really interesting kind of connection between a financial institution and sort of real, you know, union kind of rights um, on the ground. So. so the case goes to the country where the grievance took place? It depends. Um, what it says in our guidelines is that a, the case will most often go to the NCP where, um, where the issues occurred, but it's not necessarily always the impact. And then you have to look at what is meant by that. If you have a problem that might be arising in many, many countries because it's, it's been agreed to at a policy level, then it might be the country of the headquarters where it goes to. But if it's a sort of localized harm and a localized issue, then it's more likely to go to the NCP in the country where that harm is occurring. But um, NCPs are truly global in that they've heard cases relating to harms that have occurred in over 100 countries um, since, since 2000. And so in those instances, if there isn't an NCP in the country of the harm, then, then it will most often be the country of the headquarters. What's being done to raise the profile of uh, national contact points? Lots of things. I mean, one of our sort of core criteria is that national contact points need to be visible. Um, and I think that, you know, there's, there's a sort of public-facing dimension to that. And we mentioned um, potentially considering whether the name might be changed uh, in terms of making it more, more visible to, to, to the general public or organizations who might bring a case. Um, on the other hand, another important point of visibility is, is, across, is across governments, right? Um, and then, you know, the, the policy instruments that we're seeing in this space are really, you know, 
national action plans on business and human rights or on responsible business conduct, um, which make reference to NCPs um, as, as a kind of remedy mechanism, as a grievance mechanism. So both on the outside and the inside, I guess we're beginning to see that trend. Thank you very much, Catherine. Thank you. We've been talking with Catherine Dovey, Manager of National Contact Point Coordination at the OECD. For more on National Contact Points and OECD guidance on multinational enterprises, go to oecd.org slash corporate slash MNE. That's oecd.org slash corporate slash MNE. This is OECD on the Level. Thanks for listening.